the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only Son to make a wretch's say anything after that so let me just pray God thanks Jesus thank you for uh, taking my sin to the cross I ask you to forgive me again today, God. 
Help keep the sacrifice in front of our, uh, our eyes, Lord, on a daily basis. And help it, to, uh, help it to remind us, Lord, of your great love. Help, uh, help us to remember that uh, the nails and the whip and the thorns and the beating and the spitting are not the end of the story. Help us, God, to remember there is an empty tomb. There is hope for us after this life. There is a first fruit of Jesus' body coming out of the grave. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for the power that you rose from the grave and that each and every one of us uh, have access to that very power, the power that raised you from the dead, as it works inside of us to justify and sanctify us and get us ready to see you face to face. We look forward to that day. And we prayed in the name of Jesus, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Good morning. I'm glad to be here with you this morning. Just a couple of quick things I'll say before we preach. One is, we have a guest here. His name is Ken Bonham, and he's sitting right up here. Ken, you can raise your hand. This is Ken. He's from, uh, he's from Great City Missions, and uh, he lives over in uh, the Metroplex, and we're sorry about that, Ken. For, you know, we're sorry that you have to, have to survive that, but welcome to the mountains. We're glad you're here. Ken is uh, here to, uh, he's just in town, he's passing through, and he's dropping off some information about some of the mission work they do. And so if some of you are interested in learning about some missions that they do over there, you're welcome to talk to Ken after church. Also, uh, I want to be sure and announce, we've been praying for one of Mike. Davis's friend, many of, your, many of you are friends with this man, Marty, and I apologize, I, didn't, I never have known Marty's last name, Marty Martell, and uh, Marty Martell passed away this week, his, uh, his service is going to be at 1.30 at Flying J Ranch on Wednesday, and so uh, if you knew Marty, want to support that family, and we're thankful to uh, Mike and Harry and a lot of others who've just been the body of Christ to him as he's uh, fought with cancer. And uh, then let me just uh, also real quickly say that um, we have, you've noticed we've got somebody taking pictures today. Her name is Danielle, and she's taking pictures for our uh, directory and for our website. And uh, we need to get a picture of our elders and your, and your wife uh, after church, if you can meet us back here. And there are several of you I talked to about taking a special picture uh, for our website. So if you'll just come back afterwards after church, and uh, we appreciate Danielle being here. I think she's taking pictures of the kids' classes right now, so... The last thing is, Vicki uh, Cordova wanted to make sure all of you who donated money to the mission trip she's going on to the prison, she, she made 32 containers of salsa back here. And so uh, those are for you, and they're in the kitchen. Go back and grab one on your way out and uh, get ready for pure joy. We start a new series today, uh, a new series called... Aha. And I want to give credit real quickly to this, uh, to this person. His name is Kyle Eidelman, and uh, he is the uh, pastor at a Christian church over in Tennessee, and um, he does a great job of preaching. He's also a great author, and he wrote this book called Aha, and this is where I've taken the outline and kind of some of the ideas of what we're going to do. And uh, I encourage you to listen to Kyle on, if you listen to, you know, sermons on the web, he's, he's awesome awesome uh, preaching minister there in uh, Tennessee. As we start this new series, we're thinking about Luke 15. You can open your Bibles there, coming awake, coming to your senses, and coming home. 
There's an acronym for the word AHA, and I'll get to that in a little while as we go. But we're going to spend these four weeks looking at this story that Jesus told. The greatest story, as Brian said, maybe that's ever been told. Certainly his most famous story of a father who has two sons. The youngest says, Dad, I want my money. I'm out of here. And surprisingly, which happens over and over in this story, in my opinion, surprisingly, the dad says, sure, sure, son, here's your money. And he lets him go. And, and uh, so, the, the, you know the story, the son goes off into wild living and uh, partying, has a great time for a while, and then he hits rock bottom, and then he comes to his senses, he comes awake, and he eventually comes home. And we're going to look at that story over the next four weeks. I encourage you to be reading Luke 15 over and over and over. Let this sink into our hearts. As I told you back in January, we have a young man here at Gateway who obviously has a gift of preaching. He's young, but we already see that that God's Holy Spirit has given him this gift. And we want to be a part at Gateway of fanning the flame of any gift that we see and, and saying to people, go, yes, do what God's created you to do. Yes, go, go. And so he did this in January. He's going to introduce this series for us today, and he'll do this a few more times during the year. You guys know who I'm talking about, Brandon Reynolds. Come on up here. You guys give a huge gateway welcome to Brandon Reynolds. Come on, Brandon. Good morning. As John said, I'm Brandon Reynolds, and I will be talking about the prodigal son. I have three main points on this story focused around three main people, the prodigal son, the father, and the brother. So to start off, number one, the prodigal son. The prodigal son asks for his money. He goes off. He has a good time, and bam, he has no money. He has to find a job, so he finds a job feeding pigs. And it's one of the saddest things in this story is that he's so starving that he longs to eat the food that he's feeding the pigs. Well, in Luke 15, 17 through 18, we are told the son comes to his senses and says, I will set out and go back, to home, go back home and say to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, heaven being God. I believe he sinned against his father by being disrespectful, greedy, and disgracing his father's name. I believe he sinned against God by doing two things. One, by wild living. He could have done some sinful things while he was living wild. And two, by making money an idol. He made it to where he loved it more than he loved God. Once he reaches the point of starvation, he comes to his senses and goes home. Now we go on to the father. In verse 20, the Bible tells us, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. We see the father is is compassionate by the way he not only lets his son back home, But he rejoices the second he sees him. And he sees him far off. That means he had to be looking for him. And um, 
he forgives him, he rejoices, and he kisses him. He welcomes him home. He throws him a party. He just makes it all the more better. And in a way, the Father reminds me of God. Because no matter what sin we've committed, um, if we repent and come home, God will embrace us and welcome us and forgive us. Now we go on to the brother. He's jealous that his brother goes off and sins and comes home and gets a party. I, we've all been there. And... <laughs> <laughs> because if my brother went and did something like this and came back home and I stayed home and was loyal to my family and did what I was asked, yet he gets a party, I would not be happy. <laughs> but the father, he's just like God in another way. He's wise, and he knows what to say in the worst circumstances that his son could be in. He goes to his jealous son and says, Son, my son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is another place where we see the father as God. He understands his son's feelings of jealousy. And God understands our feelings. No matter what it is, no matter what you're going through, God understands and he knows what you're going through. And he will always provide a way out and a way to help you. I'm just glad to know no matter what I do, because I'm saved, God will embrace me with open arms if I repent and ask for forgiveness. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Brandon. We love you. We're proud of you. We see God working in your life already, and uh, great job, great job. Okay, yeah, I, yeah, that's done. We're finished. I don't think you guys are kidding about these things you say after, yeah, I really don't, I, I think. Need to get a different plan here. Um, let me ask you to close your eyes. A couple of you are already ahead of me on that and had started already, but uh, let me ask you to do that for just a minute. I want to tell you a story, and, I, and it'll work if you'll just close your eyes for about 90 seconds, and I want you to imagine being blind. So that's why I'm asking you to close your eyes. And, and I, just want, I just want you to think for a moment if, if you've been blind your entire life. Let's say you're 50 years old, and, and all your life people have tried to describe to you. They've tried to say, you know, the, the green trees, and you felt trees, and, and it's springtime, you can feel the spring in the air, but you've never seen green. And, and the white sands, uh, those, those sand dunes at, at, at the White Sands Monument, and, and you felt the sand, but they, they just try to describe how white and bright it is. And you felt the sun on your face, but you, you've never seen the, the color of the sunset. And, and, and so here you are, you're, you're blind your whole life. You've tried to have these things described to you. Keep your eyes closed just a minute. Let me let me, let me just tell you, there's a lady named Rose Crawford, 50 years old, 50 years old. She was born blind, never seen anything, and then she went to Ontario, Canada, and she had a delicate surgery performed, and it worked. It worked, and all of a sudden, she could see. And I know this is a lame attempt at this, but you got your eyes closed, and on the count of three, 
I, I'm, I just want you to open your eyes, and, and when I get to three, and I want you to say, aha, because that must have been what happened to her on the count of three. One, two, three. Aha. I haven't seen anything in 50 years, and the bandages get taken off, and you open your eyes, and, and you see the guy's head in front of you. You know, it might be a little disappointing if you were here in church, and that's where the first thing you saw was the back of somebody's head. But here you are, it's, you, you haven't seen anything, and, and now this awesome, incredible, aha moment. I was blind, but my eyes have been open. Everything changes. Everything. <laughs> right, exactly. That's what I was thinking. And I want us to think for a little while about spiritually. For a few weeks, I want us to think spiritually about our eyes being open. Not physical blindness, but spiritual blindness. And our eyes are opened and everything changes and nothing is ever the same. This is Paul's prayer for us in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart... Did you know your eyes? Did you know your heart had eyes? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, his incomparable great power for those who believe. And that's my prayer for us too this whole month. May God open the eyes of our heart. Please, Lord, open the eyes of our heart. Let's read from our text, chapter 15 of Luke, chapter 15 of Luke, and we'll read verses 11 through 17 today. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country and squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed to his fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods eating. But no one gave him anything. Here's, here's, the ver- here, here's, the, here's the phrase. Here's the phrase. Here's the phrase right here. When he came to his senses. Aha. Yes. <laughs> Preacher number two in the works. And he said, how many of my father's hired hands have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Jesus tells this story that's been called the parable of the prodigal son, just as, just as uh, Brandon said, but it probably would be better called the parable of the good father, because it's really ultimately who this story ends up being about. He's a good father, good and patient and forgiving and humble and available and engaged, and he's sometimes taking the initiative, but he's not forcing his will on his sons. He is just like our good God. And I do believe God is the main point of this, these, this story. And so over these weeks, we're going to be looking at some things about God. But I will tell you, the parables, and especially this one, have, they have layers, don't they? And especially this one has layers. And we're going to look at the layer of the youngest son. That's what we're going to spend most of our time on during these four weeks. And there's a good reason for that, because his story is our story. It's our story. Just like him, we rebelled. We walked out the door. We slapped God in the face and said, no, thank you. I'm done. And for some of us, 
may still be in a far-off, distant land, still running away. How? How do we come home like this son did so there's a good ending to the story like there was in the story that Jesus tells? Well, I'm going to give you three steps. These are the three steps I stole from Kyle Eidelman that we'll look at here. Three steps of aha. If you want to use your bulletin, if you like to write notes in, you can fill in the blanks here in the bulletin. We'll be doing that this month. Three ingredients of aha. A sudden awakening, brutal honesty, and immediate action. These are three ingredients. Now, all three are important. I'm going to tell you that uh, I think when I was in college, somebody gave me a a cookbook that was called the Three Ingredient Cookbook. They thought that was about all I could handle. And I think I got to the page that was like bread and then peanut butter and jelly, you know, and I messed that one up and then I was like, forget it. And I really, I'm not much of a cook, okay? But I did learn this and I know this. It's important, ingredients are important, but especially if you only got three ingredients in a cookbook and you only put two of them in there, it ain't gonna work very good. That's going to be a lousy meal, all right? Well, I want to tell you it's the same. It's the same truth here for for this, for this story, and for these three ingredients of aha. If you get two of these, but you don't get three, I'm going to tell you this. It isn't going to work. It isn't going to work if you only get two of the three. And today we're going to talk about the first one, the first step. A sudden awakening. That's why we read that scripture that Gary read for us. Wake up, O sleeper. Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Wake up. I wonder how many of you have a hard time waking up. What wakes you up? Some of you, are you awake right now? Did you wake up? (laughs) Well, alarm clock wakes me up, all right? I hate my alarm clock. I kind of have a love-hate relationship with it because I'm thankful I got an alarm clock, but I kind of hate it. And there is one part of my alarm clock that's my favorite part of my alarm clock. What's it called? Yes, the snooze button. I love my snooze button, all right? And there have been times when I've hit the snooze over and over and over, and I've been in trouble. I've ended up being in trouble, all right? That's happened. Now, if you have a hard time with your alarm clock and you kind of can't wake up and you keep hitting the snooze button, maybe some of these would help you. Here's some I found. This is an alarm clock, and when it goes off, you have to find the one little knob that is the, that, and it changes every day. It changes. So you got you to find which one is the snooze button. You got to push all the little buttons. That might help you wake up. Uh, here's one. It, it takes off off your desk and goes and hides in your room somewhere, all right? And it keeps beeping till you get out of bed and you go push the button and, and you get up, okay? You, that's the only way you can push the snooze button is fine. You got to find the, the alarm clock. Here's another one. Uh, if you're into games, you know, this one, the light comes on and you have to get your gun out and you have to shoot the target, okay? And that's the way you, that's the way you hit the snooze. Uh, this one right here, I... I don't even know what to say exactly. I just know you just want, you just want to get up, all right? You want to get up when you... And, and one more, this is my favorite one, and, and this is, uh, it shreds your money if you don't get up, all right? So each time, each time you hit the snooze button, it shreds a little bit more of that bill. Now, you got to be dumb enough to put the money in the night before, but uh, maybe if it's important enough to get up, maybe that would, maybe you'd do that. Yeah, alarm clocks, right? Well, so here we are talking about waking up. You know, sometimes we just keep hitting the snooze in our life, spiritually. And the question is, how bad or serious does it have to get for you to wake up? How, how serious? How bad? In your bed, how bad or serious? I mean, if, you're, if the snooze is going off and you feel your wife's foot in the small of your back, you know, just saying, I, I just imagining maybe that could happen to somebody. And, you know, you, you, all of a sudden it's bad enough. 
I'm going to get up now. I'm going to wake up. Or maybe you look, you know, you hit the snooze, hit the snooze, hit, and then you look and you're like, I'm going to be late for work. I'm going to get fired. It's serious enough. You get up out of bed. What's it going to take to wake you up? How many alarms does God have to send your way for you to finally wake up? Which, by the way, I want you to understand this. Alarms, when God sends alarms to you, it's, it's evidence of his grace. It's his grace in your life. You get a ticket for speeding, and it's really expensive because you were going fast, but the cop doesn't notice that you were drinking also. Warning. Alarm clock. You going to hit the snooze button? Just keep going? You're going to wake up. Your girlfriend's period is late. Is she pregnant? You hold the test in your hand, shaking. No, she's not. Alarm clock. You gonna wake up this time? Someone asks you a question about the lies you've been telling and you think you're caught this time and your heart is just pounding because you know whenever you do get caught for these lies you've been telling, you are gonna be in such big trouble. It is, it's gonna be ugly. But, but you tell another lie and they buy it. Hook, line, and sinker. And you're good. Alarm clock. Gonna wake up? Are these just coincidences when these things happen? You're just so smart that you, you make it through these things? You're just a lucky person. That's what you are. No, it's God's grace. It's God's love. It's God's mercy. It's God's patience from this good father who's trying to get our attention. He's trying to get us to wake up. One of my friends, his name is Ken. I met him after he'd been in prison. He was in prison for about eight years. That's where he became a Christian was when he was in prison. Went there for, for dealing and, and trafficking drugs, large amounts. And I asked him to tell me about his life before, before that. And, and, he, and he told me about when he was about, you know, in his late teens or early 20s, man, he was living large. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, he is partying all the time and, the, and it gets so expensive he has to start selling. And so then it, that even, it gets wilder and crazier and so he has to start delivering across the country and, and he's driving, you know, new cars, and it's a new woman every week, and I mean, he is just living in the fast lane, and he is loving life until one day when he's driving his new Camaro down the highway, and he's got a trunk full of drugs, and he comes up to a stop in the road, and, and there's police, and they're stopping everybody, and they're, they're questioning them, and he, he turns down, you know, the music, Van Halen or whatever it was, you know, he turns it off. And he begins to pray. God, I'm begging you. God, please. God, I'm begging you. I'm just, God, I'm, I, just don't let me get caught. If you just let me get through this one time, I, I promise God, I swear to you, God, this will be the last time. I'll quit. That's it. I'm going to pay off my debts and that's it. I'm done. I'm, gonna, I'm done with drugs. God, I'm just begging you. Please, God, please. I know I went to Bible school when I was a little kid. In Jesus' name, I'm asking you. I'll go to church. I'll go to church. God, I promise. I will. Just let me get the, oh, God, please, I'm begging you. And then he pulls up and, and he rolls down the window and the police officer sticks his head in and talks to him for a minute. And he waves him on. He drives through that thing. Rolls his window up. Turns on Van Halen and whoa, whoa, And he falls down the freeway 100 miles an hour. Yeah, I got off. Yes, they didn't catch me. And he told me I forgot that prayer. I did not think about that prayer again until a couple of months later when another police officer pulled me over on the side of the road. And I remembered 
the prayer I'd prayed. It was an alarm. And it was going off, but he just hit the snooze button and drove on down the road. And he says the very best thing that ever happened to him is he went to prison because it was his rock bottom. It's where he met the Lord. And Ken married a Christian woman. They have kids, raising their kids to be Christians. Still, you know, he, he's a part of a church and he serves in their ministries and he's a great Christian man. Some of you are sitting here Perhaps, not necessarily, I'm, I'm not trying to indict everybody who's got their arms crossed, but perhaps you're sitting like this and thinking, this lesson is not for me, all right? <laughs> this lesson is not about me. I do not have, I do not have any drugs in my trunk, all right? Uh, you know, my girlfriend, I don't even have a girlfriend, by the way. You know, I don't tell lies and I don't drink. This is not about me. I can check out for this month and do something else. Well, I guess that might be true, except for there's a verse in here, verse 13. And it says that the son went to a distant country. He went to a distant country. And I'm thinking as I'm reading this over and over and over for the last several months, that maybe there's some area of my life or your life that we just keep distant from God. I'm just going to slide it back over here, and that's the distant country. Oh, God, I mean, I'll go to church, and I'll tithe, and I'll, I'll, I'll raise my kids to follow the Lord, and, I'll, oh, and, I, and I'll, I'll sing praises to you. I'll help teach Bible class. You know, I'll be faithful to my husband or my wife, and, and I'll, I'll pay my tax. I'll, live, I'll be a good person, God. I'll, I'll do the things that all. I won't commit any of those big sins. You know, I won't do any of that stuff. But let me tell you something, God, right back here, uh, as a matter of fact, I'm not really telling you. I'm just, uh, you know, John, John's saying this, but I, I'm, I really don't want to say it. But back here, uh, this pride, that's off limits, God. The way that I talk about other people behind their back, that's really none of your business, God. I'm an American. I can say whatever I want, okay? And that ain't none of your business. The way I spend my money and have to have bigger and more, and all the time, have to have more, more, more. The racism and judgmental attitudes that I have toward people, that's back here, God, that's distant. That's the distant land back here. The unforgiving posture, the hate that I feel for that one person sitting across the, right over there, right in this room, I hate that person. That's not yours, God, that's mine. I'm gonna just put that right back here. That's distant land. The overspending, the overeating, the overworrying, on and on and on, whatever it may be. It's quiet and it's subtle, but it's right back here. And everything else, God, you can have all this right here. You can have everything right here, but right back there, right, right over here, that's the distant land. You don't get that, God. Maybe you are the prodigal. And for now, it's okay. It's all right. It's not that big of a deal. But let me tell you this. When, when you live long enough Keeping part of your life distant, things don't go well. Eventually, life lived apart from the Father falls apart. And for the prodigal, in the distant land from the Father, things just kept getting worse and worse. The alarms are going off, and there's famine, and the people are gone, and he's left with nothing, and he hits rock bottom. He's in desperate need of an aha moment. And I'll tell you this, sometimes when you're sitting in church like this and maybe you're getting a little bit of conviction from the Holy Spirit, sometimes a prayer to God can be the answer. 
Maybe a prayer like this. There may be some of you who really do need to pray this prayer today. God, open my eyes. Open my eyes, God. Help me to see what you want me to see. If I'm sleeping through something right now, as a husband, a father, a mother, wife, son, daughter, friend, student, coworker, a follower of you, then please, God, open my eyes so that I might see. Some of you may really, right this second, it may be your moment to respond by saying this prayer. I've noticed that almost all of us are really, really, really good at saying this prayer for other people. Maybe it's a daughter that's gone off to college and she's living with that guy. Maybe it's your brother or sister. You're raised in the same home, same values, everything, but they've just gone off the deep end. Maybe it's your husband who has no, nothing interested in spiritual, anything spiritual at all in their life. And you think when it happens, you go, maybe they'll wake up this time. Finally, God, open their eyes. Help them see, God. Help them wake up. Help them, God. We're great at saying this prayer. But I'm here to tell you today, the story isn't about them. The story's about you. It's about me. It's like the dashboard light on your car. The dashboard lights are going off. It lights up. And, and, and we just sometimes we just want to deal with it. It's, I just think sometimes we, we, we almost kind of, uh, we deny that it's there. We live in denial is what we do. We know the engine, something's wrong, but we just deny it. And we just keep driving down the road. Some of you are going, that's true, that's me. I'm just driving down the road and I'm denying it. Because we have this way of dealing with the pain of something that isn't going right and it's to deny stuff. It's the land of denial. The land of denial. If you want to fill these in in your, your bulletin, you can. There's three, three ways that we, we deny stuff. The first one is just simple denial. We just say, that's not there. I don't want to look at it. I'm going to pretend like it's not there. I was riding in somebody's car one time, and I looked over on the dashboard, and they had a dollar bill folded up, and it was just like stuck down in the little deal right there. And I could see behind it, there was a little light lit up. And I, and I said, you know, hey, what, what's that dollar for? Is it a special dollar or something? They're like, no, I just don't like to see that light right there. I just cover it up. I was like, really? You know, I'm glad we're on a short trip here. We're not going very far, right? But we do that, don't we? We cover it up. Maybe we cover it up with money with spending, with busyness, work, serving at the church, doing lots of stuff. We cover up what we know. This light is going off on the dashboard, and we just deny it. The second thing we do is we minimize it. I mean, we know, yeah, the light's going off. I know there's a problem. I understand, but it's not that big of a deal. It's just a blinking light. And it's not, it's, it's not going to be the end of the world. I'll get to it sometime, or we'll just get over it. It'll go away. I'll just ignore it. We minimize it. And the last thing we do is we project we say, no, it is a problem, it's serious, and there are serious consequences, but it's not my fault. My mom and dad hadn't treated me that way. If my spouse would just, if the church would do, if my boss, if my coworker, if the economy, if politics, oh, there's a great one, that's a good one, man, project everything on politics, they're the whole problem. It's not your problem, nothing is a problem in your life, it's them. We project it on other people in other places. Eventually, the son hears the alarm, and he has this sudden awakening when he came to his senses. Aha! Except it's not a very good aha. It's like, aha. He looks around. He's like, how did I get here? How did this happen to me? This is not what my life was supposed to be. What am I doing here? How? And we don't know how long he had been living there. 
just a verse or two. Maybe it was a few days he fed pigs. Maybe it was a few weeks. Maybe he settled in and it was a few months. Maybe it was years. But eventually, he said, this is not it. And the question we have to get to at the end here is this. What's it going to take for you to come to your senses? To have a sudden awakening. The first ingredient of aha. What's it going to take? I'm going to give you two things real quick, okay? Two things that can, that can make it happen. Here they are, the last two things we're going to look at today. A painful recognition. See, for him, it took a famine in the land. He was hungry, painful, hungry. Consequences. What's it going to take for you? CYFD knocks on your door. Your spouse walks out the door. Your job tells you to get out of that door. You walk out of the bar door and get behind the wheel and you have a bad accident. You find yourself inside a closed door all by yourself, totally alone. Everyone's gone. You lost it all. All you have left is your addiction. You've been hitting the snooze button over and over and over and over in your life, but it's finally just too painful. And you're wide awake. Why? Because of the consequences. That's why. And I hear people say this a lot of times, especially when I was a youth minister, I'd hear teenagers say this, and I'm getting, I've got a pretty good idea, I think, where they heard it from. I think they might have heard it from their parents. This is what they would say all the time. Well, some things you just got to learn by going out and doing them, you know? You can't learn that it's wrong to get drunk unless you go get drunk. That's how you have to learn. And I'm here to tell you, in as nice a way as I can, that's, that's bull. Let me just stop there, okay? That's not true. It's not true. You don't have to experience pain to learn. Now, all of us do, and when we do experience pain, and when we do make mistakes, and we do have consequences, God won't waste those. God is the loving Father that Brandon talked to us about today, and God will take us back, and he will use all that to teach us. Yes, but we don't have to go to the bottom. We don't have to hit rock bottom. There is something else that we can do. We can wake up by a startling realization. And maybe today is a startling realization to you. Maybe you're being honest with yourself and you're admitting, I need to wake up. I got a problem. Think about this prodigal on his road down to the lowest spot where we see him. Do you think there were any warnings? You think there were any alarms? You think there were any dashboard lights going off? Do you think that happened in his life? The text doesn't say so, but we can imagine because we've lived long enough to know, yes, there were a whole lot of alarms that happened. He's the son of a good dad who probably disciplined him, taught him, loved him, tried to direct him. He saw other adults crash when he was a kid and he's growing up. He saw their lives crash. He saw what happened. After he leaves his father, Alarm after alarm, the economy, the famine. He saw other friends, I'm sure, who OD'd on drugs, who got a bad report on STDs, who were put in jail for what they'd done, who lost everything they had. 
All these alarms go off and off and off, and they're all chances to realize pain is coming if I don't wake up. We talked about Rose Crawford earlier. 50 years, and then the bandages come off. And I was blind, but I could see. And it's a beautiful story, except there's one tragic part of the story. One tragic part. And that is the surgery that healed her eyes. Blind to see. Had been available for 20 years, but she just didn't know about it. She spent 20 years of her life in the prison of blindness when she did not have to. So the last question today is this. How long will you wait? You're going to be sitting in a sermon 20 years from now? Because God is opening some blind eyes this morning. You don't have to close your eyes this morning. You don't have to do that. God is putting off alarm clocks all over this room. And you do not have to hit the snooze button this morning. Dashboard lights of your life are going off right in front of you this morning. You know that I don't know, but God knew somehow that you would be here and I would say these words. And you don't have to cover up the dashboard this morning. You don't have to deny it anymore. You don't have to wait any longer. We have elders and elders' wives who are going to be here at the front and at the back. And if you need to pray about waking up, we're offering you open arms as much as we possibly can, just like the Father. Love, acceptance, come home. Don't wait any longer. Let's stand and let's sing.